That's fine. It's quite fine. Pasha shaved him. Shkedish El. For those of us in Chabad, we have a many and not the custom. Not only do we say Pirkei Avot on Shabbos and every Shabbos from Pesach to Shavuos, we continue that until Rosh Hashanah. And for those who need to know, when do they start? When is Perik Aleph? When is Perik Beis? The parameter that we are given is Nefesh. Nefesh is an acronym, Erashatevis, Nosai Pinchas Shaftim. And Pashas Nosai Pinchas and Shaftim, usually we start Perik Aleph again. Meaning that Nosai is almost always the Shabbos after Shavuos. And based on that, ultimately Shaftim starts the last cycle. Now the thing is that sometimes Shaftim, as it does this year, begins in the beginning of Elul. And therefore, instead of the six Perakim being divided in six weeks, we will have weeks that we will double up Perakim. Aleph, we said, one week Beis another, and the other two weeks Gimel, Dalet, Hei, and Vav. Yes, the competition over there to please uh, lower their sources. Hey, people in the kitchen, quiet. The Shabbos is also Dalit El, and then for those who are here in Crown Heights for Shabbos, we will have a Kiddush here in the house in honor of the uh, second yard side of my father, Shalom. So I guess we devote a little bit of time tonight in talking about my father as well. Pasha Shefi has many, many mitzvahs to it. Not as many as all the, some of the rest of the Pashas in this Chumash. But there is a total there are 14 Mitzvahs, Asay, and 27 Leisasay. What's a Mitzvah Asay? What's a Mitzvah Leisasay? 
What does it mean a mitzvah that we should do? Where do we go to a mitzvah that we should not do? What is a mitzvah? Now generally, we've said this many times, we've quoted this many times, from the uh, secular world, shall we say. Speakers, or comedians, will tend to open their speeches with a funny thing happened to me on the way here today. Of course, understand that... Hold on, hold on. What's going on here with the Skype today? Every time something else. It's a wonderful program, I'm telling you. Which is that they use this line. Okay, come on. It's not Skype, actually, it's my computer, probably. Okay, fine. The Gemara tells us, and it's brought down in the Maimah that we say for Hasana. Because I went to two chasanas tonight already. Rabbi used to start his shir with a joke. He opened the shir with a joke so that he could open the minds, because it says through humor, he can open the mind of people. I ask you please don't anticipate a joke tonight because I don't have one. If one crops up during the shir, I'll say it, but it don't spontaneous. Yeah, but it's it's common. <laughs> I was walking to one of the chasanas tonight, and the young man said he's going to walk with me. He wants to ask me a practical question. His practical question His practical question was we learned in this week's Pasha, for example, about Egla Rufa. We'll discuss later. We've also learned next week about the Sarah murder. We'll discuss next week. We learned about Irhani Dachas. 
We learned a week recently about the Saita. Are these really practical things? Did these things ever really happen? Why would the Torah go through such great lengths of discussing all these things when they're not practical? It's not practical that the child rebels in such a fashion. It's not practical that an entire city has become so decadent that it needs to be destroyed. It's not practical of the woman who conceals herself with somebody and therefore has to be subjected to the waters. So he wanted to know why does the tailor go through such great lengths of explaining and discussing and teaching us about all these different dinim? Rambam goes on about it. Now, unless I asked the fellow very straight, because we know for a fact that the rabbi always answers questions with a question. It's true. Yeah, the priest once asked the rabbi, why do you always answer a question with a question? He said, why not? I asked him, I said, did you never learn, I said, did you never learn Darach Mitzvah from the Samach Tzedek? Darach Mitzvah the Samach Tzedek takes a Mitzvah at a time, takes one mitzvah at a time and translates it into from physical to spiritual. South Africa, there was once a rabbi. He's a rabbi in the army, I think. Rabbi Sandler's name was. He would poo-poo-poo. He would what? Poo-poo-poo, any kind of miracles. You have people that say, listen, we live bread and butter, we live chicken, meat on the table. Don't go down this route, a miracle, something spiritual, something... He didn't, he didn't buy this, he didn't float his boat. Until he needed one. Obviously. We had a hurricane recently in New York, by the way, in case those don't know about the miracles that transpired during the hurricane. Um, there was a fellow that the house was flooding. So he went on the roof of his porch. And um, a boat floated by and said, come, I'll save you. And he said, I believe in God. God is going to protect me. And uh, the flood kept rising and he went up onto his roof of his house and the flood was rising higher and higher and a helicopter came by and threw down a rope and said come I'll save you and he said I believe God is going to protect me I have my complete faith in God I know for sure God is going to help me anyway he drowned and he came to heaven and he says God I don't understand I had such faith in you 
that you're going to save me and you let me die like this without showing the world what kind of miracle you could perform and God said who do you think sent you the helicopter or the boat yeah, we have to you know they have in, in the, um, what's Jeff what's in it Jeff we have to hold on one second Schwang. Yeah. Um, and by Sand, obviously, he didn't believe in anything. He believed in Judaism, Torah, mitzvahs. His wife became pregnant. His wife became pregnant, and time went by, and a few months into the pregnancy, the doctors found a major problem. And the doctor said, there's no way this, this pregnancy can go. She must abort. Come on, let's on. They went from one doctor to another, to professors, to experts. To it wasn't cutting it. Nobody could find any, any reasonable reason that this, children could survive, this child could survive. After another few examinations, things got worse. Before the aborting, they found out that there's not only one child, it's twins. One of the Santa abort twins. Couldn't live with it. And he was in touch with a Chabadnik in South Africa. And the Chabadnik said, let's write to the Rebbe. He didn't believe in it till now, but he had no choice now. He was back, backed against the wall with twins in his wife's womb and Chasashalom having to abort them. So he spoke to Rabbi Weinberg and he told Rabbi Weinberg, who was in New York, it was a, a New York visiting rabbi to South Africa. He told him his dilemma. Rabbi Weinberg immediately called up the Rebbe's office from South Africa. That was quite a trick in those days. There was no Skype. And he gave over the dilemma to the Rebbe, to the, to the secretary. Secretary, in turn, brought it into the Rebbe. Rabbi Sando was sitting in his house a few hours later. There was a knock on the door. He has a telegram from New York. The telegram was from the Lubavitch Rebbe. The Bavitch Rebbe said, Ask Alatzian, I'll mention it by my father's grave. Please check your film and mezuzahs. Now, allow me to explain because today's day and age, people take this figure. You don't mind if I share the table with you, do um, Today's day and age, people take it for granted because they've heard so many times the Rebbe said about checking your children mezuzahs, how it's relevant to so many different things and so many different things happen because of it. So it's today it, it, it slides like a duck, uh, water off a duck's back. But in those days, nobody ever put two and two together. Except for the Chinaman that got his uh, mezuzah from his uh, wholesaler. He knew that it kept away the robbers, but it kept getting all the people knocking on his door saying, it's dukkah, it's dukkah. And he didn't know what to do with them. People don't see on a daily basis 
The mezuzah standing guard by your house. The putting on of the tefillin, which is such a redundant mitzvah by many of us, of wrapping the straps around and just putting it on our arms and our heads, making a bracha, saying our prayers. No, you're not part of that shit. You put that down now. And so for all of a sudden, someone to get such a message, check your tefillin, he was totally baffled. But the Rebbe gave a blessing, and the Rebbe told him to do it. He did so. Took off his mezuzahs, put it in the bag with his tool, and took it to the safer. But he checked around, and obviously in South Africa you didn't have an abundance of safer. But there was one guy that was more than just reliable, that everybody really, really had great faith in. And he went to the safer, and he had him check his tool. That is mezuzahs. And a short time later, an hour or two later, the safer called up hysterical. You must come here. You must come see this. And lo and behold, in the parish of Kadashi Kobacher, the words Peter Rechem, which referred to the womb, the birth of the womb, were totally smudged. Immediately he purchased new parishes to his tefillin, had them replaced. And two days later they went to a different professor for examination. And the professor said, I don't know what your problem is. These children are beautifully healthy children and there will be no problem with them. So he saw an open miracle happen to him. This is a man, obviously, like I said before, that had no belief in such things. But now that God opened his eyes, a short while later, a young lady came to him, crying and bawling and devastated. Her sister had become anorexic. She was dieting and dieting and dieting. She started wearing baggy clothing when she started disappearing. She was down to 50 pounds. They were feeding her with... with... Um, Oh, got in Not with tubes. They're feeding over the IV intravenous. Wake up. And she uh, had one foot in the grave, one foot of banana peel. They didn't know what to do. So he said, let's write to the Baba Chirebbe. She took the name of the girl, the Hebrew name and the mother's name, and he called up and told Rabbi Groner the dilemma. Rabbi Groner wrote down the name ran a brief synopsis of what's going on and brought it to the Rebbe. Rabbi Sandler waited a few hours. He figured it's not any different than what his situation was. Dial a miracle. And he called up Rabbi Grona. Rabbi Grona said, listen, 
I don't go in all day. The Rebbe either calls me in, or amount of letters accumulate, and we have permission to go in. Right after you called me, I wrote down that letter, I went into the Rebbe. And I gave the Rebbe the letter right away. The Rebbe didn't say anything. And so, the search started. The waiting began. The family kept calling. Rabbi Sandler kept calling to Rabbi Groner. I yelled, I know, the Rebbe's not answering. Two and a half weeks later, two and a half weeks later, Rabbi Sandler called Rabbi Groner, Rabbi Groner said, just about to call you. The devil was coming out of his room, and the devil handed the paper, this girl's name on it, and the devil said, Askalatsian. What time was that, Rabbi Sandler asked? He said, I'm telling you, it just happened, 11 o'clock, which was 6 o'clock South African time. Kids of Rebbe didn't jalava. He immediately got on the phone, didn't uh, waste time. He got on the phone and started to call the family to tell the people that uh, the Rebbe gave a bracha. Now, you have to realize that the Rebbe said, Ask Al-Atsi, and the Rebbe didn't have to give an in-depth, long, la- long, lengthy bracha. The fact that the Rebbe said, I'm going to pray for the person uh, my father-in-law's gravesite was already enough. A person once came to the Rebbe on Yechidus. The Rebbe used to go to the Ayel traditionally in the beginning, Erev Shchedish and Tezvav. In the later years, the Rebbe started going more often. Erev Shchedish and Tezvav, the Rebbe always went. A person came into Yechidus once, right after the Rebbe just came back from the hill. The Rebbe said, I'll mention by my father-in-law. The guy said, I need a bracha now. I can't wait until two weeks. So the Rebbe said, by the, my father-in-law's desk, I can also talk to him. Now, allow me to just explain to you, because... It's by a wedding now, Chupa, Shliach and Karakas' daughter got married. Shliach and Karakas now has Baruch Hashem sons-in-law that are working in Karakas as well. And obviously they're by the Chupa. Someone knew that I was in Karakas way back when. So he asked me, when you were there, son-in-law was there also. I left. I called him over. I said, "Shui, what year were you born?" She was Shui was about six years old when I was in Caracas. So obviously, the son-in-law was not his son-in-law yet. Askalatian Hatslachrama.
So we're talking about the Rebbe mentioning things by his father-in-law. They're nowhere near as simple as it sounds. There were those that used to stand outside sometimes, the Rebbe's ale. They would stand outside the ale and listen. When the Rebbe was inside, you could hear the Rebbe talking. And the Rebbe would be talking, holding a conversation. Sure. And the Rebbe would say, Ha! Numerous times the Rebbe returned from the ale late at night and said he would fabreng. And during the fabreng, the Rebbe would say that I was given over. I was told such and such. So it was not just the Rebbe went to talk to a stone. When the Rebbe went to the ale, the Rebbe would speak to the Fidik Rebbe in a physical fashion. Again, I am not trying to explain how that happens. Because that's not our job. Our job is with Amunas Sadikim to understand that the right way is being done. So when the Rebbe says, Ask Alatim, you know that this is a bracha. The Rebbe is going to daven for the person. The kid said he called up the family and nobody answers. And he called another one, another number, another number. For hours on end he could not find anybody. And finally he decided if the next morning he can't get hold, he's going to go to the hospital. The next morning he called again and again, nobody answered. He went to the hospital and he came to the hospital and he said, you know what, I better cover my bases. I have to cover my bases. He says, went over to the desk, what room is this girl? Told him what room she's in. He called from the lobby. Called from the lobby. This is Rabbi Sandler. And the girl that had come to him answered the phone. And she says, Rabbi Sandler, where are you? There's a miracle going on here. Where are you? And he said, I'm downstairs. Please, please, come up. Come up now. He came upstairs. And he said, a miracle. The girl started eating. She started to eat. When did she start to eat, he asks. And it was the exact time that the Rebbe came out of his room and said, Askalatiyah. So Rabbi Sandler now became a, from a a very big doubter, from a very big atheist of miracles, became a great, great, strong, staunch believer. Now technically we look at the the Pasha, we say it about the 17 mitzvahs say and 34 mitzvahs leisasei, what is a mitzvah say? What is a mitzvah say? What does it mean a mitzvah that I have to do? What is a mitzvah I'm not allowed to do? And how does it actually affect me in my life and my lifestyle? Let us look superficially at the Pasha's opening. The opening of the Pasha's Shaftim Veshaitrim Titen Lecha. Give yourself a point for yourself, police officers and judges.
we know that the Torah is written in a plural basis. Moshe was talking to the entire nation. So where does he come off to use the Lashon of singular, Shevetim v'Shevetim Titen Lecha, to give to you? It should be Shevetim v'Shevetim Titen Lachem. That all of you should have the Shevetim v'Shevetim. A chassid once came to the Mezitja Maggid. And he said to him, Shevetim v'shevetim titin l'chav v'chol sh'alecha, I understand what it means. To give to yourself and all your gateways, your gates, you have seven gates. The person is a small city. And the eyes and the ears and the nose and the mouth Each thing is its own gateway. On each one of these things, I can govern, said the Chassid to the Maggid. I don't understand though. I can govern what goes out of my mouth, I can govern what comes into my ears, I can govern what goes into my nose. How do I govern what goes into my heart? And listen, let's be realistic. How many times have you had a heavy heart about something? Just, you don't want to say it, but the person upset you. And the person upsetting you just gave you a heavy heart. Am I holding the grudge? I'm not holding the grudge. Will I say it later? I might not, probably not say it. Although the best attribute that we have basically is what's on the longest on the tongue. But even that is not always the advisable way to go. It's not advisable because let's call it a spade a spade. Sometimes when we refrain from saying something, we accomplish a lot more. How many times in your own lifetimes you could look back and say, had I said what I wanted to say at the time, I could have caused catastrophe. But because I refrained... The person had a chance to rethink what he said to me, what he did to me, and ultimately it repaired itself. The Chassid asked the Magid, how do I get control of what goes into my heart? Magid said, I can't answer you. I have a Chassid Rebzev. He's the only one that can tell you how. But Rebzev did not live locally in Mizrich. The journey was quite an arduous journey, especially in the cold of the winter, the freezing frost winter. But the Chassid wanted to know, and the Magid told him to go find out. He had no choice but to pick himself up and set tracks, two-week journey to Rebzev's house. You don't have a timetable when you're walking. He arrived in the town of Rebzev, well after midnight. Freezing, bitter cold night. And lo and behold, Abzev's house, the light, the light was on. Baruch Hashem. Abzev was sitting and learning by the fireplace, candle, chaya, nice and warm, looking from the inside in, just looking at the sight, you became warm. Here the chas is excited. After all this journey, I'm going to go inside, I'm going to find the answer to my question. 
And he knocks on the door. And observe, continues learning. Maybe he didn't hear me. Knocks a little harder. Doesn't flinch. He goes to the window to look properly. Maybe he had earplugs in to listening to his iPod. Nothing. Man just sitting there learning. He's awake, learning. Knocked harder. Man doesn't move. Hours are going by now. Guy's holding by freezing to death. He has nowhere else to go. Before dawn, observe opens the door. Gives him this wonderful shalom aleichem. Look how cold you are. Have a seat. Gave him a beautiful cup of tea. Put him on blankets. He led him to his room. A gorgeous room. What accommodations. And for the next week or two, Ibzev was the most gracious of hosts. Not only the most gracious of hosts, but the Chassid was the most gracious of guests as well. So the combination was great, the two of them were having a great time together, but the man didn't have the audacity to ask Rebzev what happened. Finally, he said to Rebzev after two weeks or so, Rebzev, I came here for a reason. The Rebbe sent me to you because I asked the Rebbe this problem. This is a dilemma. I can watch my eyes, my ears, my nose. I, how does one watch their heart from making sure nothing goes into their heart that shouldn't? Rebzev <laughs> looks at him and says, What? I answered that to you the first night that you came. He says, What? He says, Yeah. Did I let you in my house? You took me in the house. Did I let you in right away when you started to knock? No. Did I let you in after an hour? No. Did I let you in after two hours? No. My house. I let in who I want to let in. If I don't let you in, you're not coming in here. And the same thing is with your heart. You'll let in what you want to let in. You can have such control. And with this, the Chassid saw... That from every little thing and every nuance and every trivial nuance, there's one could learn a lesson in how a person has to behave. And the Torah in this parasha keeps going in the same concept. It says, "Tomim tiye imashem lekecha." Obviously, "Tomim tiye imashem lekecha" has a lot to do with the yeshiva. Being the yeshiva is called "Temchet Mimim," and the Tamidim of yeshiva are called "Temimim." When the Rebbe Rashab established the yeshiva and he called it Temchet Mimim, he said the Chassidim, the Tamidim, should be Tomim, they should learn both Chassidus and Nigla together. How does one become Tomim in Hashem Alekecha? Whole with God. First of all,
there's a concept that people have which is called Chadri Chadarim. Chadri Chadarim means in the private of the privacy. When I'm in my own domain, in my own home, in my own four cubits, I'll do what I want to do. Because I'm me. I don't have to answer to anybody, nobody sees what I'm doing, nobody sees what's going on. Zoktun's the tater, no. Tomim tia im Hashem Don't just be Tomim when you're walking the streets, when you're in public, when you're in shul. My grandson is competing with me. But Tomim tia even im Hashem Even if you're one alone in your room, and you're never alone because God is always there with you. So even if you're in Hashem Kecha alone with God, where you think that you're alone, Tamim Tia. You have to be Tamim. What does Tamim Tia Hashem Kecha have to do with Chaydish El? The words Tamim Tia for those who are doing quick gematrias is value equals to nine hundred and ten. Nine hundred and ten. For anyone that's any familiar with with gematrias in any which way or form, knows automatically that nine hundred and ten is gematria tishrei, teaching us that what are we looking for in tishrei? We're looking for a We're looking to be inscribed in the good books. So therefore, Chaydish Elul, which is the Hakonel Tishrei, the preparation for the month of Tishrei, is be, it has to be in the concept of Tomim Tiyeh. You have to be complete, and you have to do everything in the best form and fashion that you possibly can. Another thing, as long as you're Im Hashem as long as you have the Shavisi Hashem and Agdi Summit, and you're always remembering God before you, you can be a Tamim. And this the Rebbe said in Tavshim Mem Gimel, he spoke to the children by a rally. And he explained to them the concept of Tamim Tiyam Hashem as long as you're always with God, it's not hard to be a Tamim. Yeah, for the Skype people, you should know. We don't have the air conditioning out here. Where's Ezra's friend? Huh? Where's Ezra's friend? Which one? It's the friend that we had last week. Oh, the fan? I don't know. Hmm. The a story of a Balagola. It was a wagon driver. was right driving a rove. Wagon driver got very hungry. They were driving through a field. And there was some really, really delicious looking fruits and vegetables. And he stopped the wagon, he jumped off, and he ran over to grab a fruit. And the Rav screamed out, Someone's watching! And the wagon driver got petrified, and he jumped back on the wagon and started to ride. But as he rode, he looked to the right, he looked to the left, he looked up, and he didn't see anybody. So he asked the Rav, Why did you fool me? Why did you lie that someone was watching? He said, I didn't lie, I didn't fool you. David still was watching you. God is watching We find the word Tamim in another place in the Torah. Tamim Tia Mashem Alekecha refers to the person. And the Parah Aduma 
has to be also Tamima. The red hyphen. We know the famous story of Dhamma ben Asina that he got a red hyphen in his field, in his whatever you call it. Animals, cattle. Amongst his cattle. The red hyphen didn't happen every day. And the red hyphen wasn't brought as a sacrifice every day. When people were impure for tummy mace, the person that died, the need, people needed to tend to the body, and therefore they were now tummy. Being tummy, they had to sit out a little while, time out room, and then The Paraduma was taken, this red heifer. And of course, there's many different things that the criteria of the red heifer, but mainly it had to be completely red. The cow had to be totally red. However, if it had two hairs that were white, it was rendered unfit. Two hairs. What happens if you had a red hyphen with one red, one white hair? And you didn't find a second white hair? It was fit to be used. It was good. It's fine. Only two white hairs makes it unfit. Sorry. We can't even have two, one white hair. We can't even have one blemish on ourselves, but the person, the Jew, has to be complete and total when he devotes himself to God. Taylor tells us a very interesting law. What happens if a person kills somebody by accident? How do you kill somebody <laughs> Joke time. The three guys were discussing uh, how they retired. They were all 28 years old, 29 years old. They were retired already. First one says, How I retired? <laughs> I had a factory. So you retired from your factory? He says, nah, I retired from my factory. I built up my factory in six years. It was worth millions. It wasn't producing millions. It wasn't making me millions. But the factory, the machinery, it was worth millions. All of a sudden, I had a fire. I had a fire, the insurance covered it, and here I am retired. Not bad. And you, the second guys, they say to the second guy, how did you get here? How did I get here? I had a major factory. Also worth multi, multi-million dollars. And they used to go home from one day, I had a flood. 
Chmonolitzlan, and wiped me out. Came the insurance, the adjuster, the brokers, and here I am, retired. Comes the third guy. No, how did you retire? He says, I had a major, major factory worth multi-million dollars. And suddenly, a hurricane came and wiped my factory to the ground. And here I am, retired. So the first guy and the second guy turned to each other and said, how do you make a hurricane? Um, how do you kill somebody by accident? You don't kill somebody by accident easily. But if you kill somebody by accident, you go to Harry Miklot? No. Taylor says this criteria. There has to be witnesses to warn you, to tell you that, listen, what you're doing is dangerous and it could cause damage, it could. And then after being forewarned and everything, still you continue doing what you were doing negligently, and the negligence ultimately caused a mishap, and the mishap killed somebody. There was no intent to kill the person. But because of the negligence, the mishap, and therefore the person died. This is called Meshagik. What happens though, if you don't fit the criteria? I mean, you don't fit the criteria. You were in the field, and you were chopping wood with a faulty axe, and the faulty axe, the head flew off, and it killed somebody. But you didn't have any witnesses that saw it. You didn't have any witnesses that warned you. Nobody said anything. Nobody said it. Nobody. So the whole criteria, the whole picture wasn't shown here. What do you do then? You can't just go off to this little city called Aremiklat. Why did they have to go to Aremiklat? The reason for the Aremiklat was because the person had a relative. We all know, of course, in America there's a very famous saying, where there's a will, there's a relative. But if the person had a close relative who was referred to in the Torah language as a Goyal Hadam, who was allowed to take revenge for him. And the Goyal Hadam then had permission, because you killed this person out of your negligence, to kill you. So if the Goyal Hadam had permission to kill you, you were in trouble. Because the Goyal Hadam was hunting you down. How do you avoid the girl Adam catching you? You avoid the girl Adam catching you by going to the Aramiklot. The girl Adam had no right or permission to enter to the Aramiklot. And therefore, the person who ran to the Aramiklot was safe. How long did you stay in the Miklat? Torah tells us. First, not stay in the Miklat till the Kohen Gadol passed away. So 
So the mother of the Kohen Gadol used to go to the Arimiklat and feed the people very, very nice delicacies. To keep them entertained so they shouldn't pray for their son, her son to die. Anyway, off the subject, because we do not really want to discuss the Arimiklat, we want to discuss the, about the Arimiklat is that the Teda tells us in our Pasha that in the time of Mashiach, Three more cities of Arimiklat refuge will be established. What are we going to do with them? Mashiach is coming. So what's going to what are we doing in Gimara Masech the Shabbos tells us. And that you'd base them in base for those who want to look it up. Rabbi Shmuel once did a horrific sin. Uh, horrific. He did a sin. He committed a sin. I believe it was the desecration of Shabbos, even. <laughs> he was devastated. And it was no base Hamidish. How do you repent for such a sin? So he did whatever repentance he could do, but he also committed. The Beis will be reestablished. I will bring a carbon of a tremendous size. I'll bring a sacrifice to, com- to repent for this sin. On this basis, same Mephoshim, when Mashiach comes, if a person killed somebody by accident before Mashiach came, when there was no city of refuge, they would have to go to the city of refuge when Mashiach comes. Ultimately, so therefore we need three more. Ultimately, Mashiach's coming has different shlavim, different stages in the first shlav Mashiach coming it will take off the yoke from the governments we will no longer have to be subservient to government or the government parties etc we are not under the governments we will be ruled by Mashiach in the second shlav the world will become totally ruled by spirituality By the second Shlav Mashiach already, the world will not be anymore Elam Kiminhaginog, which will be in the first Shlav, in the first era. The world will continue the way it is today, and therefore people could die, people could, things could happen. And it's only in the second Shlav will be Tchis and when the world will then see, Vidal Chalamiyar, Vechasmai Tzreim, and it will be totally, totally enveloped in spirituality. Mm-hmm. There are very interesting pasuk in the beginning of the parsha, which actually always blew my mind. 
And as I mentioned it to other people, they look at me and they say, you're off your mind, Rabbi, where did you come up with this thought? I said, read the Pasuk and tell me it makes sense to you. The second Pasuk in Pasha Sheftim, Leisata Mishpat, Leisakit Panim. Don't deviate from the Mishpat, from the law. Don't recognize people's faces in law. Do not take bribes. Okay, that makes sense so far. The Pasuk, though, continues. Ki HaSheichad, because what does Sheichad do? Ya'aver, it makes blind, ene the eyes, chachamim, of the wise. Visalif, and it removes divrei tzadikim, the words of the righteous. I would like to pose this question to anybody listening to this. If you knew of a rabbi that can be bought off, that you can come to him and buy a, a, a conversion, buy a, a a certificate for any given thing, because the rabbi can write it, and if you pay him enough, he can do it. Famous story of the guy that came to the rabbi and said, Rabbi, I want to become a levy. The rabbi said, it doesn't happen. We don't do that like that. It's an orthodox rabbi. He says, Rabbi, I'm desperate to be a levy. He says, I'm sorry, it doesn't go like that. Rabbi, I'll pay you a thousand dollars, make me a levy. And the rabbi said, I'm not taking money for that. It doesn't happen. Rabbi, I'll give you... Oh, just for clock, the thing went off. Rabbi, I'll give you... $5,000, make me a lady. We can't do that. Rabbi, you win. You win. I give up. Rabbi, how much is the mortgage on your show? Tell me the mortgage on the show. I'll cover the mortgage. Now, the rabbi's head started to spin. The mortgage on the shul was $400,000. And this guy was saying money is no object. He was ready to pay the mortgage on the shul. Temptation was too much. It was too great. And the rabbi said, okay, come to shul on Thursday, and we'll call you to the Torah as a levy. You'll become a levy. And lo and behold, the fellow shows up on Thursday. And the rabbi says, Ya'amod. And he calls him up. And he calls him up as a levy. And not only calls him up as a levy, he calls him up as a levy, the son of a levy. Because after all, Chaim ben Yosef Halevi. If he's a levy, then obviously he has to call him as his father's name. Heaven didn't happen here. After all said and done, man goes to the bank, pays off the mortgage. The rabbi says to him, Tell me, sir, this machine. Your mom is crazy about. Why did you want to become a lady? He says, Rabbi, my father was a lady. My grandfather was a levy. My great-grandfather was a levy. I wanted to be a levy also. Now you know, of course, according to the law, if the father is a levy, 
and the grandfather's a levy, he's a levy. He didn't have to pay the mortgage. But he was oblivious to that. How come we can't find people like that? Yeah, huh? So the question is, if a rabbi gets bought off like that, if you could just buy off a rabbi, would you call him a chacham? Would you call him a tzaddik? A rabbi that all of a sudden gets bought off, you'd call him a lot other adjectives than a chacham and a tzaddik. The story of the Abderov, we've got to finish now, and I don't want to talk about anything. If anyone wants to hear any stories of my father, you have to come Shabbos. The story of the Abderov, who was sitting on a dintera. In the middle of the dintera, one of the guys saw that things were not going well for him. The guy saw things were not going well for him, so the solution was to split. He says, let me out. So he took a break from the dentera and he went outside to get some fresh air. As he was walking in the foyer, he saw the Abderov's coat. And out of instinct, he took a wad of bills and he put it in the Abderov's pocket. When he returned into Bezden, the Abderov started to look at him and look at the other fellow and they're very confused said, I had almost the opinion of what to do here, and now I don't understand what happened to it. The whole thing doesn't make sense to me. And the Abderov asked for a recess, for a day or two, until he can decide what to do. And the people left. And two days later, when the Abderov went to take his coat and saw the money in his pocket, he realized what happened. That the money being in his pocket was Sheikhat, was a bribe. He didn't have it. It was in his possession, but he didn't know it even. But because bribery is so severe that it blinded the eye of the, bl- of the wise and the heart of the tzaddik, the words of the tzaddik, of the righteous. We come, therefore, we enter the Chedesh El, where we started our tshuva. We ask of the Almighty to accept our tshuva with open arms, and to take us as a father takes his children with love and embrace us once again in Yerushalayim, Mirakadish, on this very evening. <laughs>